0: much like christmas in december we tend to leave the cross of christ with easter and leave it there as we're seeing in our current series of biblical examination of the resurrection there is great reason to keep the cross before us always The Cross of Christ, it is something that is brutal, horrid to consider, but so vital and necessary to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, who continues our series, of Biblical Examination of the Resurrection. We're being reminded once again of why this crucifixion is so crucial to our daily, momentary lives in Christ, and not just a -a once-a-year event we celebrate around springtime. Won't you join us with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City? Here's Pastor Steve Converse.
1: And they, they went from this band, this motley band of followers of Christ locked in a room hiding from the Roman authorities... To being a force that turned the world upside down. How did this happen? What changed them? It was the reality of the resurrection of Christ. They believed in the reality of the crucified and resurrected Christ. Well the fifth thing here. The post-resurrection appearances. This is another reason why we should believe in the resurrection. One of the ways God chose to establish the reality of this event in scripture. Was he gave us at least 13 post-resurrection appearances by Christ. He just didn't just show up once over 13 times. These appearances were to more than 500 people. They occurred in at least 10 different locations when you study it throughout Scripture. John Wahlberg writes this in his book on Christ. He says, taken as a whole, the appearances are of such various character and to so many people Under so many different circumstances, that proof of the resurrection of Christ is as solid as any historical fact that could be cited in the first century. What else would God have to do to show us that Jesus was truly raised from the dead? Well, the sixth evidence of the resurrection of Christ is the conversion of the persecutor Saul, or Paul as we know him. The conversion of Paul. Now, the reason I bring this up is because his conversion was so, such a, a transformation, such a m- miraculous change. I mean, let's remember who this guy was. If you read in Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him, speaking the stoning of Stephen. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Paul, before his conversion. Verse 59 As they were stoning Stephen, he crawled out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved, it says, of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3 says, but Saul was ravaging the church. Listen to this language. He was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, it says, Paul is giving his own testimony here. He says, I am a Jew born uh, in Tarsus, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. And then he says a little bit about his, his experience in verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way, speaking of Christianity, to death. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. In verse er, 9 and 11 of uh, Acts 26, he says this, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, In Galatians 1.22, it says, I was still unknown in persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Or you read in Romans 1.1 1, 1, where Paul says, Paul, how does it start? A servant of Christ Jesus Or 2 Corinthians 4 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but what? Jesus Christ as Lord. What happened to this guy? What transformed him? What could have possibly produced such a radical change in this man? Well, both Luke's testimony in the book book of Acts and Paul's own testimony identify the foundational change was that he encountered the risen Jesus of Nazareth that's the only explanation his conversion if you want to read about it is in Acts 9 but he says over and over 1 Corinthians 9 1 have I not seen the risen Lord 1 Corinthians 5 8 last of all as one untimely born he appeared to me also Paul says only the reality of Jesus' resurrection can explain how this Radical and sudden change in a man who arrested, tortured, and voted for the death of Christians happened. Well, seventh, we believe in the resurrection because of the conversion of the skeptics. The conversion of the skeptics. Even in the Bible, they're skeptics. I can think of two, James and Jude. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, listen to this because Mark's sharing a little bit about Jesus' family. And in Mark chapter six, verse three, it says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and, and, uh, and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And then it says this, and they took offense at him. This is Jesus's own family. They were skeptics. I mean, remember, Jesus wasn't an only child. There were at least seven, perhaps more in his family. Here are listed you have the, the, the brothers and two sisters. And most people believe that J- Joseph, the father of the family, must have died at some point after Jesus' visit to the temple when Jesus was 12 before he began his earthly ministry. And if that's the case, guess who was responsible for teaching this family the spiritual truths of Scripture? It was Jesus. Jesus was the one in charge because Joseph, his dad, had probably passed away. He was the one responsible to carry out the spiritual duties of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He was the man of the house, Jesus was, after Joseph left the scene. I mean, stop and think of this, beloved. No family ever had a better teacher. No family ever had a more consistent example, a perfect model of the father than they did having jesus as that example but whenever it was that jesus's siblings his four brothers and his sisters became aware here that their older brother claimed to be more than simply the the son of joseph and mary guess what they didn't get it even though he laid out a perfect example they didn't get it they all refused to believe in him as a matter of fact the bible says they thought he was nuts they thought he was crazy In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out and seized him. For they were saying, He is out of his mind. Poor Jesus, man, he went over the edge. Blew a circuit. We got to go help him. It says, They thought he had to take leave of his senses. And so they go to Capernaum to bring him back to Nazareth. We just need to bring this boy home and lock him up. Literally, the language says that they sought to control him. Remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And his brothers and sisters are trying to control him. The language says they literally wanted to arrest him and bring him back to Nazareth. That's how bad it was in their family. Their attitude toward Jesus became even clearer later In an incident in John 7, just six months before his crucifixion, look at John 7, verse 5. It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Can you imagine? Your own family has turned on you. That's right before his crucifixion. That all happened before the resurrection. Well, what happens after the resurrection? Is there any evidence they changed their mind? Well, look at what happens to James, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. It says that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Jesus' disciples gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. And guess who we find there in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these, with one accord, cord, it says, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with woman, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. His brothers were there. Well, what happened to, hey, you're nuts. This guy's crazy. The next time we meet James is in Acts chapter 15. Guess what James is doing? He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, a devoted follower of Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter one, Paul puts him in the company of all the apostles. Paul says, hey, I'm an apostle, and all the brothers are with me, in James 1.1, 1, 1, he actually wrote a book that's in our New Testament. This, this guy that thought Jesus was nuts at some point, he wrote the book of James. And he starts off the book of James. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, now remember, who's he talking about? He's talking about his brother. When's the last time your sibling addressed you that way? <laughs> servant of God and the Lord. You know, I don't think so. Something happened. He calls himself slave of God and a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened? He saw the resurrected Christ. That's what happened. He became a follower of his older brother. He became a follower of the Messiah. He acknowledged him as Lord, his sovereign God. His confidence in Christ and in his resurrection was so strong that James died a martyr. He went to his death believing this. Well, what about Jude, the other one? He gave us the book that bears his name in the New Testament. Listen how he begins after the resurrection. He didn't believe him before. He thought he was crazy. But in Jude 1, verse 1, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He doesn't even mention that he's related (laughs) Matter of fact, in Jude 4, a couple verses down, he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He's talking about his own brother. In both James and Jude, we have the ultimate skeptics. Both these two men grew up with Jesus, he was their. Father for all practical purposes. They rejected his claims. They believed he was nuts. Well, what produced the change? It was the resurrection. Well, eighthly, also because of the empty tomb. We believe in the resurrection because of the empty tomb. The tomb of Jesus of Nazareth was and still is clearly empty. There's no body there. From the first resurrection Sunday... The Romans, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, Jesus' friends. As I mentioned, even Jesus' enemies all agreed. You know what? The tomb was empty. He rose from the dead. If you read, have the opportunity to read through John 20, you'll see accounts of this. There's multiple witnesses on that first day at the tomb. There were two angels. There were the Roman guards guarding the grave there was Mary Magdalena there was at least three other women there was Peter, there was John they all saw the empty tomb even Jesus' enemies admitted that the grave was empty and that his body was gone according to Matthew the Jewish leaders bribed the Roman guard, you remember to say what? that the disciples came and stole the body why? because he, he knew the body wasn't there the tomb was empty Neither the Romans nor the Jewish leaders ever furnished a body to silence the apostles' claims. Think about it. That would be the easiest way, right? Oh, you're claiming your, 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 your guy uh, rose from the dead. Well, here's his dead body. That's all they had to do. Some liberal theologians come up with the wackiest stuff. One I read was they believed that on that, on that, that Sunday morning that the women went to the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong tomb. And so, you know, when they asked the gardener where Jesus was, because they looked in there and there was nobody there, they were standing at the wrong tomb. And the gardener says, well, you know, uh, he's not here. And then they just left. They immediately left the conversation and they, they, they ran away. But they didn't stick around for what the gardener meant to say. He's not here. He's actually over there in that tomb. That's what these people believe. Now, obviously, that didn't happen because this, t- this tomb was large. It's not something you'd miss. Remember, this was a tomb of who? Of a rich man. You know, most tombs didn't have a giant stone rolled in front of them. Most tombs weren't in a garden setting near the crucifixion. And if they got the wrong tomb, how do you explain the appearances of Christ and the fact that his enemies never point out the right tomb? I mean, if everybody went to the wrong tomb and there was nobody there, all his enemies had to do was say, well, no, it's not this tomb, silly. It's this one over here, and here's the body. They never did that. Why didn't they do that? Because the grave was empty. Christ had risen from the dead. Well, the last thing I want to leave with is kind of a simple one but because of all the inadequacy of all the other explanations and there's a lot one says that the, the resurrection is a group hallucination that's what they believe they believe everybody was hallucinating at the same time well first of all hallucinations are not collective experiences and besides that hallucinations can't account for the empty tomb hallucinations can't account for the conversion of Paul James and Jude. Another idea is that as time passed, this was just a legend. They just made this story up. But you know what? It's ridiculous because there's not enough time. We have evidence of the very day, we have testimonies of the very day that Christ rose from the dead. There's no time here for legends to develop. Another idea is that the resurrection was a fraud. But you know what? Some people say Joseph of Arimathea wanted his tomb back, so he took the body. Other people say the Romans took it, the Jewish authorities took it, the disciples stole it. I mean, they go on and on and on. But they don't account for the fact that the disciples really believed that they had seen the risen Christ and they gave their lives for that. Would you do that for something that wasn't even true? No other explanation but the literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead can adequately explain all the data that we've looked at this morning. It's amazing what God did in His providence, beloved, to confirm them, confirm the facts to His disciples, to those believers in the first century, and to us today. That the reality of the resurrection is just that it's a reality. Believers, God has given us every piece of evidence you could ever want. I mean, I get it. You weren't there. Neither was I. But you know what? We have more than enough, countless witnesses. And we haven't recorded in historically the most reliable document and inspired document, the Bible. It has piece after piece after piece of evidence for us to look at. So I want to encourage you as believers, be settled in your faith. Know that the resurrection can give you the strength to get through today and tomorrow. Because this is something that's true. And maybe there's those here today who have yet to put their faith in Christ. And I'm confident in a, in a group of people this size that there may be people here who are not in Christ. They haven't repented of their sins. They haven't believed in Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that that Jesus died, that he was raised again, and his resurrection is God's proof to you that one day, listen to me, one day you will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment. You will stand before Christ at the judgment. You will either confess him as Lord now and enjoy the forgiveness of sins and eternal joy in his presence Or you will confess him then on that day of judgment when it's too late and be ushered into eternal hell. But confess him you will. Father, we thank you for the proof that you've given us of the resurrection of your son. Lord, we know that he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He's with us every moment of every day through the power of his spirit. We thank you that this message that we've heard this morning can encourage our hearts. It can encourage our hearts as believers to know that we are on the right side of this. That this is the real deal, that Jesus Christ was not some fraud, but he truly was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we've committed our lives to him, we are on the winning side of this. And as believers here today, it leaves us with a tremendous responsibility to reach out to a lost and dying world. And to preach and to tell the good news of the gospel that Jesus came, he died. But guess what? He was risen on the third day. And because of that, his payment for sins on Calvary secures our salvation. What wonderful news. If you're here and you haven't trusted Christ, it's not too late. It's not too late. You aren't here by accident. The evidence that you've been given of the resurrection today is central to the gospel message. It proves Jesus is everything he claimed to be. It's the foundation of everything he taught. And if you're a skeptic here today, I pray that you would commit to look into this further. To ask God to give you the strength, the understanding, to trust his son as your Lord and Savior. To turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. It's a humbling thing to do. It's a pride-crushing thing to do. But that's what God calls us to do. So I trust that you will cry out to him. It doesn't have to be an elaborate prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. As a matter of fact, a man in the New Testament simply cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it came from a sincere heart. The scripture says that that prayer was heard. God has the power today to transform your life, to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed. Won't you trust him? Won't you cry out to him today, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, we thank you. We pray that we would have a wonderful day with family and friends. Pray for our fellowship time across the way that you would bless that as well. Just allow us now to Raise our voices in song as we continue to worship you in our closing closing hymn. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name,
0: amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650 366 9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. I'd also like to let you know that our Grace Bible Church Women's Ministry 2018 Spring Conference is coming up. The author and guest speaker will be Cynthia Heald, known best for her best-selling Bible study, Becoming a Woman of Excellence. Now, the conference will take place out of 1 John chapter 2, and verse 6, Living Like Jesus. It's May 18th through the 19th. Friday the 18th at 7 p.m. through 8.30, and then Saturday the 19th at 9 a.m. through 2.30. It'll take place here at the church, 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Breakfast is included as well as lunch. Total conference cost, just $20, with a love offering taken both Friday and Saturday evening. For more information, visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.